if it does. Thank you, sir. Right. Well, good morning. Morning. Can everybody hear me? Right. Well, it's great to be here this morning, and uh, I want to say thanks to your pastor, Marshall, for uh, inviting me to come. Uh, interesting story. I've never met Marshall before. We've only talked on the phone. But uh, as Christopher mentioned, I'm good friends with Ted Amy, uh, who was here about a month ago. And me and Ted have been friends for about 10 years. It has actually spanned in two different cities and two different churches. Uh, so we go way back. But it's great to be here this morning and to worship and to have this opportunity to share the Word with you. Just a little bit about myself. Um, grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, went to UAB. Uh, graduated from there with a bachelor's degree in history with a minor in political science. Then went to seminary at Beeson Divinity School at Sanford University there in Birmingham. And then after there, I went and served for two years, uh, two and a half years as a student minister at a church here in North Alabama. And it was during that time um, that uh, Ted said, hey, won't you come help me build the storehouse ministry that meets here in Madison? And I said, sure. So uh, I was a part of that for about four years. And then last year, me and my wife moved to Birmingham. Uh, so we kind of went through a transition chapter in our lives. And uh, we uh, right now live in Homewood, Alabama. Uh, as Christopher said, my wife, Lee Catherine's here. We've been married for a little over two and a half, a little, a little over two years. And uh, she's my best friend, and I'm so thankful that God placed her in my life. Um, this morning, I want to share a passage of Scripture with you that most of you probably are familiar with, especially if you've been in church any length of time. Uh, maybe you learned it in vacation Bible school, or you've probably heard a few sermons along the way. But this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 11. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn there. Uh, it's the story of Lazarus. And this morning, I want to read the this, this story, but I want to look at it from a little different angle than maybe some of us have heard before. So let's begin in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha, who was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped His feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. 
Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet Him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever You ask of God, God will give You. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to Him, I know that He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus again, deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that you believe? You will see the glory of God. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to him, Them unbind him and let him go. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this day, and we thank you for your word that speaks truth. Lord, I pray in these next few moments that as we look at your word, God, that your spirit would teach us your word, that would write it on our hearts. That, God, it would draw us deeper and closer to You. That, Lord, our lives would be so consumed by Your love that we would desire to love others in this world. Lord, I, I pray that You'd help us to see the truth in Your message. That, God, that we may grow deeper in our faith. God, we love You, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, who is this John? Well, we see in the Gospel there we see in the New Testament there are four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And what we see with the first three Gospels is that they are what we call the synoptic Gospels. They're similar. They share a lot of the same stories. But John's Gospel is different. When you read all the stories in John's Gospel, you can tell that he's not really rehashing what Mark, Matthew, and Luke have put in their Gospels. But... To some degree he is, but yet he's giving you a different view. 
What we know about John is that he was the brother of James, the son of Zebedee. Jesus mentioned them as the sons of thunder. And along with James and Peter, John was one of the closest three, was one of the close three disciples of Jesus. He hung out with Jesus. He saw the miracles that Jesus performed. And he obviously was in Jesus' prayer group that prayed with him and spent so much time with him. We know that when he writes this gospel that he's older. He's in Ephesus. He later became an elder at that church. And he writes this gospel somewhere between 80 and 95 A.D., which would mean that some 50 to 65 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he's writing this gospel. But the time that he writes this gospel is a different world than the world that Jesus saw when he was here. This world that John is writing to is a world that they have this mindset, it's Jesus plus something gives you eternity. Or Jesus, there's a prerequisite that you had to follow to become a Christian. And so John is writing this gospel with this purpose in mind. We, we find it in John 20, verse 31. He says, With these things I have written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. We can simply put the gospel of John is aimed to reveal the redeeming Son of God. That was John's purpose, that he wanted to show the world and all his readers that there was no doubt that Jesus is the Christ. We, we realize that in John's Gospel, he gives us what we call the seven I am sayings. I am the bread of life in John 6. I am the light of the world in John 8. I am the door in John 10. I am the good shepherd in John 10. The resurrection and the life in John 11. The way, the truth, and the life in John 14. And I am the true vine. But when we come to John 11, we see that John has already performed, or Jesus has already performed six miracles leading up to this one. And it's kind of like that John 11 is the climactic point of his gospel leading to the cross. And what we see here in John 11, I like what John MacArthur says, the resurrection of Lazarus is the climactic and most dramatic sign in this gospel. It's the capstone of Jesus' public ministry. See, there are two other resurrection stories that we find in the Gospels. We find in Luke chapter 7, there's a widow's son who has died, and Jesus comes and He resurrects that son. Then we see in John chapter 8 that the story of Jairus' daughter who has died, and Jesus comes and He resurrects her back to life. And so when we get to John 11, people already knew that Jesus could resurrect the dead. But there's something a little different about this story. Because see, with this resurrection story, Lazarus had been dead for four days. There's two things I want to pull from that. One is Jewish thought was that the soul departed the body on the third day. So this made this very much a miracle because he'd been dead for four days. The second was the body had already started to decompose. So we see that Jesus not only brings a spiritual healing, but He brings a physical healing to Lazarus. And what makes this story even more unique is the fact that at the moment the widow's son died, and the moment that Jairus' daughter died, Jesus was there. The thought was maybe He just performed a simple... He just resuscitated those two individuals. But there was no doubt with this story of Lazarus that there was a true resurrection. So we might say that this story points to some mighty miracle of God of this resurrection. 
because there was no doubt that Lazarus was dead and Jesus brought him back to life. But I want to dive in a little deeper and look at the characters in this story because this is where I think it starts to get real for us. This is not the first time that gospel readers were uh, introduced to Martha and Mary. We see the story in Luke 10 where Jesus is coming to visit and Martha, she's trying to get the house prepared. She's trying to get the dishes put away and you know she's in there working to get it ready. But Martha, but Mary, when Jesus comes, she sits at His feet. She's hanging on to every word He's saying. We see the story that she takes the expensive ball of perfume and she pours it on His feet and takes her hair and she wipes His feet. And we see that Martha's kind of upset about this and says, Lord, make Mary help me. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen what is right. And we know that Jesus loved Lazarus and He loved Martha and Mary. I would say that He loved them as much as He loved His mother and His siblings. He loved them very deeply. So when we look at the story, I think it's important to see that Jesus loved these three individuals. Now, when Lazarus had died, they sent the messenger to Jesus. He's hanging over in the Transjordan. It's about a 24-hour journey from Bethany. So you can imagine Martha and Mary, when they send the messenger out, they're thinking, okay, he's going to get there in 24 hours. He'll tell Jesus, and Jesus will come on back. So 48 hours from now, Jesus will be here. He'll raise Lazarus from the dead. Everything will be fine. But what happens is Jesus hangs out in the Transjordan for two more days. So you can imagine that when the 48-hour mark came and the messenger returned and there was no Jesus with him, Martha and Mary were concerned. They were probably thinking, why hasn't He come? You know, He showed up at the moment of the death of the widow's son and He showed up at the moment of Jairus' daughter dying. But He hasn't come. He hasn't come for us who He loves. Why is that? And you can just imagine that those minutes seem like hours and those hours seem like days as they were waiting and waiting and waiting. Because they were thinking any minute He's going to come. But He didn't. Jesus didn't come. And those two days just seemed like forever for Martha and Mary. And you can imagine as they were preparing to bury Lazarus, they kept thinking any moment he's going to show up. But he didn't. Now, I think it's important to look at the disciples in this story as well. We see that the disciples are hanging out with Jesus. They're over in the Transjordan. And when word comes, Jesus kind of waits for two days. But when He decides that it's time to go, they bring up the point, Jesus, you know they're going to stone you when you get there. See, they were thinking back to John chapter 8. We know the story of the adulterous woman. Jesus shows up. The religious leaders bring the woman to Him and said, the law of Moses says she must be stoned. And Jesus said, well, if he who knows no sin, throw the first stone. And He stoops down and He starts dueling in the sand. And he asked the woman, where's your accusers? And they all left. And he sets her free. Well, that already made them upset. And then later on in the story, we see that he's teaching. And they get upset and, and they have stones. They're going to stone him. And so he leaves. Then John 10, he's teaching about he's the good shepherd. And the shepherd knows his sheep. And the sheep know the shepherd. And he's teaching about he's the Christ. And again, they want to stone him. 
And so Jesus and the disciples, they leave. They go to the Transjordan. And so the disciples have this thought, if we go back to Jerusalem, Jesus is going to be stoned. And we're going to be stoned as well. And so we see in these two instances with Martha, Mary, and then with the disciples, there's this question of why. See, death brings about doubt. And I can imagine that Martha and Mary had doubt. Why hasn't he come? And the disciples were probably doubting too. Jesus, why are you going to lead us in there? We're surely going to die. We're going to be stoned. And so we come to this climactic moment, I believe, in the story that, that has puzzled me, honestly, is why would Jesus want to hang out and wait? Now, we understand that obviously he comes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. He has no fear. He comes into Jerusalem. And I believe he wants to prove a point to the religious leaders that there was no doubt this is a miracle because they had accused him of, of blasphemy. They had accused him of conjuring up evil spirits throughout the gospel. But as he waits, it seems like his inaction causes us to wonder why. We pray prayers and we say, God, why haven't you come? We think, God, why did this event happen in my life? I don't understand it. Maybe we had a loved one who passed away or we know someone who's sick and we're thinking, okay, God, I know you can heal them and we've been praying earnestly for this. But Lord, why hasn't it happened? And Martha and Mary were probably asking that question too. And I'm sure the disciples were thinking, Lord, why do you want to lead us into a place we're going to die? For me and my wife, the last few years has not been the most pleasant. We've had a lot of trials that we've dealt with in our lives. We um, had transition in careers and just a lot of different things that have made us wonder, you know, what, what happened? Uh, but last fall was probably one of the hardest times in our lives that we've ever dealt with. Uh, I can remember the day very vividly like it was yesterday. It was September 22nd. And we were on our way home from church, and we went by Walmart to pick up a few groceries. And as we were pulling in the parking lot, I got a text message from my mom that said, my house had been broken into while she was at church. So I called my mom, and she's very upset. And a little backstory: this was the second time in three years that this had happened. And my father passed away ten and a half years ago, so she really leans on me a lot for these situations. And so I said, all right, I'll be there about 25 minutes. So we get back in the car and we're about halfway there. My wife gets a phone call from her dad saying, your sister's been in a car wreck. And she's at DCH Hospital in Tuscaloosa in brain surgery right now. Well, my wife has a sister who lives in Birmingham, so we coordinated my wife could catch a ride with her while I go take care of my mom. But we didn't know what was going to happen. We just knew brain surgery, that doesn't sound good. Well, as the next few moments and the next few hours... You could just feel that tension of, of why. You know, a beautiful Sunday morning all of a sudden was turned upside down. And all of a sudden we got this tragedy on our hands and we got this unfortunate situation of a house being broken into and it's like our world is just being, we're being stretched and we're wondering, okay, God, what's going on? And I remember as I was driving to Tuscaloosa later that day, you know, I was thinking, I, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, this doesn't sound good. They put 
her sister in medical-induced coma because they thought that might be the best chance of any kind of recovery. And her sister was 17, and she was on her way home from church, just a Sunday morning drive. And still to this day, it's a mystery as to what caused the car wreck. But as that week started to unfold and she was in a coma and her friends gathered around to pray for her, uh, my brother-in-law created a Facebook page that was simply going to serve as a way to keep her friends up to date on her status because we were hopeful that she would pull through this and that God would bring healing. But over the course of that week, as we were gathered in the hospital, and it seemed like those minutes seemed like hours, and hours seemed like days, we started to hear these stories of how she had touched the lives of so many people. I think the story of this teenager at her high school who uh, struggled with cutting and had thought about suicide and how she had spoke to him and shared with him that his life has meaning and purpose and how he changed his life. I think the story of her going and visiting the residents at the nursing home and how those residents valued someone coming and spending time with them. And over the course of that week, this Facebook page had like 45,000 likes. And people started private messaging the family, sharing these stories of how the story of the 17-year-old girl had touched them. There's a story of a, of a 28-year-old lady in um, New Jersey who had a fractured relationship with her mother. She heard this story and said, I need to repair my relationship with my mom. And she did that. There were so many stories of people either giving their life to Christ for the first time or rededicating their life to Christ. And the story of her testimony just was amazing because this 17-year-old girl, she was so on fire for God. She wanted to love Him with her heart, soul, mind, and strength. She wanted to be a missionary. But as the week started to progress and we heard all these great stories, it seemed like our prayers for healing were reaching deaf ears. I remember that Wednesday night, the sisters, there's four sisters, my wife and her other two sisters, they gathered and they prayed. And I think of Martha and Mary. They prayed, they prayed earnestly, God, come, God, we know you can heal. We've heard stories of you healing and doing miraculous things, and we still believe you do miracles. But as that week passed, there was no miracle that we witnessed in that hospital room. She never regained consciousness. And she passed away. The good that came from the story was all the people that her testimony touched. It was interesting that I think about a month or two before she died, she wrote a letter to a friend. And and this is a quote she put in there. She says, when hardship comes into your life, are you going to ask, why is this happening to me? Or will you say, how can I use this to be used to show God's glory? find it so interesting that before she was to go into this tragic event of dying, that she wanted to share with somebody that there's hope in the midst of tragedy. Olivia was an organ donor, and through her organ donation, five people received life. And so, even though she lost her life, it's like she, in a roundabout way, helped people gain life whether that was physically or spiritually. 
it served as a great testimony. I, I think of something her pastor said. It's so amazing how God could use a 17-year-old girl from the backside of Tuscaloosa County to reach thousands and thousands of people. It's amazing. But even though those are the good things we see from this tragedy, admittedly there are the things that hurts. I think of her family. I think of her friends that still struggle to this day of wondering why. Why did this happen? God, why would you let this beautiful 17-year-old girl die? Why would you let this tragic event rip this girl who had so much life and hope away from her friends and her family? And for some of us in this room, maybe we know of a situation very similar to that. Maybe it was a friend, maybe a relative. Or maybe we know somebody right now that's struggling with some event and we're thinking, God, why is this happening? Why is this happening? I think about also with Lazarus in the story that... I'm sure there were relatives of his that witnessed his first death that were still alive when they saw the second death. And they had to ask themselves, God, why would you bring this man back to only take him from us again? And sometimes we have those moments where we see God perform a miracle and then yet we see something slip away. I want to look here as we kind of close down a little bit here. When Jesus finally comes, we see the interaction He has with Martha. In verse 21, He says, She says to Him, Lord, if You had been there, my brother would not have died. And maybe for us, we think, God, if You'd been there, we wouldn't have suffered this tragedy. Mary says the same thing in verse 32. Lord, if You'd been there, my brother would not have died. And I think of the Jews that were there with, with them. And verse 37 says, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? Because we think of those moments. Okay, God, couldn't you? We know you can, but why didn't you? And that brings those questions of why. I think of the story of a lady named Agnes who, as a teenager, loved God was so on fire for God that she wanted to love Him like nobody else had loved Him before. And she wanted to be a missionary. But one day it felt to her like God had just left. She wrote in a journal entry, it says, Where is my faith? She wondered. Even deep down there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain. I have no faith. She tried to pray words of community prayers and recite creeds only to feel like she could not experience the sweetness that they would bring. And she writes in her journal, I no longer pray. And she experienced this pain for 50 years. She found comfort in doing service and she became a great missionary. For some of us, maybe we have felt the same way where Maybe we felt God in our lives for a period of time. It felt like every prayer we prayed, we could just feel the presence of God. We could reach out and touch His hand. But in a moment, it's like the presence departed. And for Agnes, she felt that for 50 years of her life. A wise counselor told her, said, look, 
God has not left you. If you have the desire to seek Him, He's there. It's just, for some reason, we can't quite understand why God may seem distant, that we may feel like we're in a desert. For Agnes, she felt this for 50 years. Now, we know Agnes better by the name of Mother Teresa. And we think of all the great things Mother Teresa did, but yet for 50 years of her life, she felt like God was distant from her. That God was distant and God was not even close. I think of something that John Ortberg wrote. He says, When people of faith are not willing to sit quietly sometimes and let doubt make its case, bad things can happen. I think it's good to let doubt creep in to a level that it helps us pursue God more. That it, it makes us say, okay, God, I really want to know You. Because sometimes it's easy for us to have this mountaintop experience where God seems so close to us, but the moment that we enter back into reality, we face a hardship and we may ask, God, where are You? And sometimes letting a little bit of doubt or letting this question of why come into our vocabulary helps us dig deeper into knowing God. And I think that it helped Martha and Mary because obviously Jesus could have showed up at the moment of Lazarus' death and said He has life and He could have came out of the tomb, but He waited for four days. And in some cases for us, maybe we're going through a hard time right now and we're thinking, God, where is the light at the end of the tunnel? Because I don't see it at this moment. It seems like it keeps getting harder and harder and harder. But I do believe there's hope. Because we know in the Gospel message that we have a God who suffered. We know on the cross that Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in a moment, He felt completely abandoned by God. And He felt pain and agony in His life. And we know that we have a God who has suffered, and therefore we put hope in that. That He knows our hardships, He knows the pain that we suffer. But yet sometimes we still feel distant from Him. I think about Romans chapter 5. It's one of my favorite passages where it says, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I think for some of us, and I have felt this in my own life, that at just the right time, God reveals Himself to us. And maybe for us, we're just waiting on God to reveal Himself at the right time in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the tragedy. I want to close with this story kind of painting a picture. Sometimes for us, maybe we feel like we're in a dark room. And we go into that room and the door's closed and it's just complete darkness. We see a little bit of light creeping underneath the door and around the door frame. And we go to that door and we know that, that the darkness seems uncomfortable. And we go and we knock on the door and we're pleading for the door to open. But for whatever reason, it just won't open. It's locked. And it's, the door handle is the side facing us with a key and we don't have a key to open it. And it feels so uncomfortable because we want out of that room. And we're faced with two choices. We, we can either choose to sit in there in the locked room and say, woe is me, why is this happening? I don't understand it. And I think that we can also sit in there and scream and yell and plead with God. And I think that's fine because when we plead and we complain, it's really a form of lament. It's a form of prayer. Because I think God wants to hear from us. He wants us to be real with Him. Because He's big enough to take it. 
And He would rather us share with Him our hurts, our pains, and our complaints instead of sitting silent. But we can also stop and take a deep breath and say, okay, God, what do you want to show me in this season? Because I do believe there could be a treasure in the midst of that darkness. And maybe God is going to use that dark season in our lives to help somebody else. I think of all the great things Mother Teresa did, that she went through a season of darkness that she was able to make such a huge impact for Christianity. And even though for me and my wife, admittedly, we haven't quite seen the treasure in the darkness that we've been in, but we do believe there is something there. And we're faced with that choice. Are we just going to say, God, I don't understand, and sit there and scream and yell? Are we going to seek and say, God, I know there's something here. It's painful. It doesn't feel good. But God, are you leading me to a deeper place in my faith? And for us this morning, maybe God is saying, you know, you've had a hard week. It maybe didn't seem like things went as planned. But maybe God is leading us to a deeper place in our faith. Because He wants to draw us closer to Him. And we have this hope in a Christ who suffered that gives us the hope to keep pushing ahead. And so, this morning as we close, Rachel's going to come and play. And I just want to invite us into a time of prayer. Um, Pray where you're at. You know, if you feel God leading you, maybe you're struggling right now with trying to understand why. And I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer. And uh, if you want someone to pray with you, I'm available. Christopher is available. I think we've got a few other people here. Uh, I just invite you to take time and just reflect on where you're at. And just, if you feel God leading you um, into prayer, please take that time. It's a sweet moment to just dig into the relationship that Christ has for us. Lord, we so often don't understand why we go through seasons of life. It just doesn't make sense. And uh, Lord, I just pray for each person in this room. Lord, I don't know where each person may be right now. It may have been a hard week and there may be questions of why. But God, we know that You're a God who loves us. You're a God who cares for us. And even though we may not feel You real close, We know that You're there. I pray, God, that we can just keep pursuing You and growing in our faith. And even when it seems hard, that we would never give up, but know that You are a God who loves us and cares for us. God, I pray You come now and just sweep over us with Your love.
Turn it off. I pushed the red button, but I think I just popped. It says, I think it's still going. 